0: Welcome to Make Me Watch It, episode 29, the podcast where you guys tell me which movies I should be watching next. Although, this time around we didn't get a whole lot of votes. So with the podcast wrapping up next month, this month's selection is Venom, chosen by my wife. So Venom was released on October 5th, 2018. It's got an average IMDb user score of 6.7 out of 10, and is one of the movies in Sony's Marvel Cinematic Universe, so Spider-Man-related characters that they have the rights to, but not part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, so we won't have Spider-Man directly in these. These are just tie-in properties. So we're looking at Venom, Carnage, there's been talk of Black Cat, Silver Sable, Spider-Man's got a huge supporting cast, and Sony's basically trying to see what they can do with just that supporting cast and not Spider-Man himself for these films. So this is something I picked up just because, you know, it's a superhero film, especially a Marvel Comics superhero film. I can't not pick it up. Now, this one is directed by Ruben Fleischer. So, as far as I can tell, he's no relation to the Max and Dave Fleischer and Richard Fleischer, who did the Superman cartoons with the Fleischer Animation Studios. Richard Fleischer was the next generation of the family who would direct 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Fantastic Voyage, and a number of others. So, Ruben Fleischer is best known as a director. He directed, well, Venom. Obviously, as well as Spaced Out, some episodes of Santa Clarita Diet, Gangster Squad, Zombie Land, and a number of others, including some video shorts and TV episodes, including some episodes of Funny or Die Presents. There are three names credited on the writing. We've got a screen story by Jeff Pinkner and Scott Rosenberg who also worked on the screenplay with an ampersand credit, meaning they collaborated, followed by and Kelly Marcel, which means Kelly Marcel was working independently. So possibly in a rewrite to combine the elements together. So Jeff Pinkner's writing career goes back to Ally McBeal. He's also worked on Profiler, Early Edition, The Street, Alias, Lost, Fringe. For screenplays, he worked on The Fifth Wave and The Dark Tower, as well as Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. And his upcoming projects include a Jumanji sequel, a Cowboy Bebop TV miniseries, as well as adaptations of 1980s cartoon properties, Visionaries, Knights of the Magical Light, and Mask, Mobile Armored Strike Command. Scott Rosenberg's writing credits are pretty similar. Uh, They... We're clearly working independently in the 90s. Rosenberg worked on Airtime, Beautiful Girls, Con Air, Disturbing Behavior, High Fidelity, and more. This actually appears to be their first, or their first collaboration actually appears to be Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle. And they're also working together on the Jumanji sequel. Now, Kelly Marcel has a few writing credits to her name, including you know, the creation of Terra Nova. As well as the screenplays of Saving Mr. Banks and Fifty Shades of Grey. Following Venom, she's got upcoming projects Cruella, an Untitled Eva's Presley project, and Venom 2, which is tentatively scheduled for 2020. The fact that we're not hearing a lot about that tells me that maybe it's being postponed. We'll see. Now, the title role of Eddie Brock is played by Tom Hardy, so he also plays Venom including the voice work that was pre-recorded and then pumped into his ear through an earpiece on set. He is best known for his work as Eames in Inception, as Bane in Dark Knight Rises, as Ivan Locke in Locke, and Max Rokotansky in Mad Max Fury Road. Bureau 42 readers and listeners would probably also know him as Shinzon from Star Trek Nemesis. But he's got 57 acting credits to his name going back to 2001 and he's certainly been making a name for himself partly because of you know his acting talent and you know some of it his name would have been better known except he really does a lot of physical transformations and it's not necessarily easy to recognize him as the same actor playing these different parts and he does bring a lock to it In this particular movie, he was the one that developed the process for when he was playing Twins in Life to pre-record the lines and feed them into his ear through an earpiece so that he could react appropriately. He's also the one who came up with getting into the lobster tank. That was improvisation from him. At least it was an improvised idea. He didn't just do it without warning, which is good because that tank was not meant to hold a person, so they had to build a completely new tank. And when he was in it, those were fake lobsters. Now Michelle Williams plays Anne Whaling, who is a character straight out of the comics. She's best known for playing Marilyn Monroe in My Week with Marilyn, Margot in Take This Waltz, Randy Chandler in Manchester by the Sea, and Cindy in Blue Valentine. She also played Young Sill in Species in 1995. She was in Baywatch as a very young girl. Step by step, she's been working pretty consistently since the early 90s. Reza Ahmed plays Carlton Drake, who is another character taken straight from the comic source material. He's also known as Omar in Four Lions, Rick in Nightcrawler, and Bodhi Rook in Rogue One. He's only got 38 acting credits to his name as far as the IMDb is concerned. They go back to 2005. Now, Scott Hayes plays Security Chief Treese. He's also known for Child of God, Thank You for Your Service, Midnight Special. So 37 acting credits to his name. None of which really jump out at me aside from those better known as. Now, Reed Scott plays Dr. Dan Lewis. 53 acting credits to his name, including playing Dan Egan on Veep, Dr. Todd Maurer on The Big C, Brendan Dorif in My Boys, and Brett in the movie Dean. Now, Jenny Slate is also in this. She plays Dr. Dora Skirth, who was originally a male in the script, but they did open casting, liked her, so she was cast seems like a lot of her best work is actually voiceover acting. So she was Bellwether in Zootopia, she's Gidget in The Secret Life of Pets, as well as Donna Stern in Obvious Child, Bonnie Stevenson in Gifted, she's Tammy in Bob's Burgers, Ponyhead in Star vs. the Forces of Evil, she's Miss Nanny in the 2018 Muppet Babies series, Huntress Wizard in three episodes of Adventure Time, Harley Quinn in the Lego Batman movie. So her IMDb surprised me. I didn't recognize her face, but going through her credits, I realized she's done voiceover acting in a lot of the projects I have seen. Now, Melora Walters plays the homeless woman Maria in this. She's also known for her roles in Magnolia, Boogie Nights, Dead Poet Society, and The Butterfly Effect. 103 credits to her name dating back to Dead Poet Society in 1989. Now, Peggy Liu plays Mrs. Chen here. As far as the MDB is concerned, this is what she's best known for, but she's also in Kung Pao, Enter the Fist, Awkward, and Wishbone. 29 acting credits to her name. Now, a few other notable names in small parts Lucas Fleischer is the director's brother. And he plays the guard at the gate. He's got 19 acting credits to his name, including Gangster Squad and 30 Minutes or Less. Now, David Fleischer plays the flight trajectory specialist in Venom, City Hall reporter in Gangster Squad, and 30 Minutes or Less, he plays bus passenger number four. Those are the only three acting credits to his name. I've got to think he's related to Lucas Fleischer and the director here. Same last name, he's in the other projects with the other two. I don't think that's a coincidence, but the IMDb doesn't list them as related in their biographies. We also have a cameo by Stan Lee, the last one that aired during his lifetime, although there were two more that he's filmed, for Captain Marvel and Avengers Endgame. And a more surprising cameo in a post credit scene, we get introduced to Cletus Cassidy, who comic fans know as the host of the Venom symbiote's offspring, Carnage. And that's played by Woody Harrelson. Previously worked with the same director in Zombieland, also known for True Detective, People vs. Larry Flint, Natural Born Killers. I quite enjoyed him in War for the Planet of the Apes and that rebooted trilogy. It's unlikely that people don't know who Woody Harrelson is at this point. So, how does a movie spun out of Spider Man do when they don't have access to Spider Man? And frankly, it came off fairly well. I mean, it could have been better, but without access to Spider Man, I don't know how much they could have done that would have made significant changes. The character was originally created as a straight up villain. So, Eddie Brock was a journalist for the Daily Globe, he ran a report about something he was convinced was true and would have made a good story. As he was investigating, he found out his ideas were wrong, but he decided, no, it's still a good story, it's still going to put him on the map, so he ran with it and ended up convincing the public that an innocent man was guilty. When Peter Parker proved that, not only was he incorrect, but he knew he was wrong and was completely to blame and responsible for it, well, that destroyed Eddie Brock's career. In the comics, he blamed Peter Parker. The Venom symbiote was an alien symbiote that Peter Parker picked up during Secret Wars event in 1984, and when they discovered the symbiote was trying to take over his body, he used the help of Reed Richards to get rid of it, but not to kill it. It was contained. And then when the symbiote escaped, it found Eddie Brock they joined, and their purpose was just to destroy Spider Man because, as far as they were concerned, Peter Parker, aka Spider Man, had ruined both of their futures. Eventually, due to his popularity, they decided to give Venom his own series, and because of a combination of editorial decisions in the Comics Code Authority, when a character got their own series, they couldn't be a straight up villain. So he became more of an anti hero, where, yeah, he'd attack Spider Man, but other than that, he would only. Take on other villains. So, more of a punisher eventually. But that transformation never really rang true to me. This movie does a little bit better. So, again, Eddie Brock is a journalist. He's dating Anne Whaling. His ethical breach in this case is to read email on her laptop that he had no right to read. So, that when he interviewed Carlton Drake, he was asking questions he shouldn't have known to ask. Destroy the interview, which was meant to be a puff piece. After a rocket exploded, it was just meant to get, you know, the incredibly rich Drake back up in the public profile. But in the end, you know, it ended up destroying Eddie Brock's career because he didn't do what he promised. His fiance got fired because it was her email that was breached. That's how he got the information. and. He wasn't taking responsibility for that either. This is a little more ethical in the sense that he was still telling an accurate story. So the journalism part was correct, even though he couldn't ethically access the information that inspired it. Now, I've heard mixed reviews on this. Rotten Tomatoes, for example, shows a critic score of 29%, only 29% of critics gave it positive reviews out of 317. Meanwhile, 81% of audiences enjoyed it. So that's one of the bigger gaps between audiences and critics on the Rotten Tomatoes meter. Now, some of that I expect. I always expect audience scores to be higher than critic scores because audiences are self-selecting. When you see a trailer for a movie that doesn't hold your interest and you don't think you'll enjoy, Generally speaking, you don't go see the movie anyway and then review it. Critics don't always have that option. They are obligated to go see what's out there. So I expect some difference, but this is pretty extreme. Now, I think a lot of that could be what you're focused on. If you're coming into this combination horror superhero film, because Venom really is a monster that's kind of on a leash more than a hero. You know, you're expecting more of the action sequences, and the action sequences are done well. I personally think Tom Haney's performance is done well. You do get how this is sort of putting him on edge and throwing him off as he's trying to interact with this voice he hears in his head and cope with the decisions this thing has made that he's got partial responsibility for. But in terms of the overall plot, you know, the redemption of Venom, turning him into a hero, It just feels completely unjustified to me. He's a monster. He's eating things. Yeah, he was a loser on his planet because he tells us that. Just like Eddie's a loser here, but he realizes the two of them together could be, you know, sort of top of the food chain. But then why does that make him a good guy and not try to conquer the planet with Eddie's help? And he says it's because of Eddie, but we don't see a lot of that because Eddie has kind of gone over the line in a few ways. He's not as bad as the Eddie Brock of the comics, but he's not exactly Captain America either. So it's certainly enjoyable. If the sequel does get made, I'll be happy to watch it. I don't know if I'd go out to see it in theaters and rush out for opening weekend like I do for Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, but I won't just reject it out of hand either. And it does seem somewhat likely that a sequel is eventually going to get made. We're talking about a movie with a hundred million dollar budget. The total domestic gross was two hundred and thirteen million five hundred and fifteen thousand five hundred six dollars. so in that two to three times the budget, it's already over two just with domestic releases. You add over six hundred and forty one million worldwide or international box office, and the worldwide numbers come in at eight hundred fifty five million thirteen thousand nine hundred and fifty four dollars so It's more like eight and a half times the budget in terms of the total gross. So, this was profitable. Audiences on the whole enjoyed it. So, I would think that, yeah, a sequel is going to happen. Maybe not 2020. There may be some issues with getting schedules to line up and whatnot. But I'd be surprised if we don't see another one. If we look at the highest grossing movies of all time, it is currently. In 69th place. Now, it's true this is being recorded while Avengers Endgame is going like gangbusters at the box office, but it's well above it, so it's not gonna knock it down by another notch anytime soon. Right now, it's between Titanic and rapidly approaching the top spot to overtake Avatar. Now, as far as the awards were concerned, despite the audience response, the Golden Schmoes Awards nominated it for the Biggest Disappointment of the Year. The Houston Film Critics Society nominated it for Worst Picture. The Los Angeles Film Critics Society nominated it for Best Visual Effects or Animated Performance. And the Visual Effects Society nominated it for Outstanding Effect Simulations in a Photo reel Feature. So yeah, we do get a lot of the recognition that it deserves on the technical level. Whether or not you're completely happy with the Venom design, That design was well implemented, and the other effects were generally well done. There's a little bit of confusion in the final action sequence, but that's, I think, more about dark characters fighting at night against a dark background. But I don't see why it's coming up with nominations for Worst Picture or Biggest Disappointment. I see why some people would consider it a disappointment, because it does have flaws, but It's not at the level that the average critic response is putting it at. So anyway, that's about it for Venom. And join us next month for the final episode of Make Me Watch It, and I'm trying to put together a little something special. So we'll see how it goes. So thank you for listening.